Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high-achieving and ambitious mid-level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How is everybody doing? We're recording this fairly early, but when it comes out, it's going to be the end of June, practically the 4th of July. So I hope for those of you here in the U.S. that you have some exciting Independence Day plans in in line. Today, I have a return guest. He's a three-peater, Mac Pritchard, and I want to have him tell everything about himself here in a moment. We want to start with kind of giving you an introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. Mac and I have talked on previous episodes, you can look that up wherever you're getting your podcast, on informational interviews. And today we're going to do a real deep dive on how to navigate it. So hopefully we've done a good job in the past of selling you on the concept of informational interviews. Now we're going to really give you the down and dirty on how to do it. So Mac, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Lisa. I've never been a three-peat before on a podcast. It's a real honor. Well, I mean, you're going you're gonna to be in the Hall of Fame soon is what's going to happen, right? When you win that many national championships, you, you get to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to that day. I know there's a, a Hall of Fame for career advice out there somewhere. There should be. If there isn't, we should do it ourselves. <laughs> well, Mac, why don't you start by telling the folks who maybe haven't heard of you on my previous podcast, tell them about you. I run a regional job board in the Pacific Northwest. I live and work in Portland, Oregon, and my site, maxlist.org, is both a job board and a career hub. We provide job postings from employers in Oregon and Washington, but we also offer lots and lots of career advice, not only about how to look for work, but how to hire smarter and we do that, Lisa, because, as you know, seeing a job opening is just one step in the job search process. And you've got to be good at job search skills if you want to not only get the job you want, but to have a, a satisfying career. So we provide hundreds of free blog posts, several free online courses. I host a weekly podcast where I talk to different career experts. It's called Find Your Dream Job. And we do this so people can have the tools to get the work they want. And it's, it's, I've been doing it now for a number of years, and it's, it's a very satisfying work to do. It is, isn't it? Just helping people. You know, I always say you can't stand in the line at the coffee shop for five minutes without hearing the people in front of you and in back of you and around you talking about their jobs, their careers, their struggles around those things, their dissatisfaction, whatever it is. And so my contention is that our career career 
it doesn't just affect the eight or so hours a day that we're in the job. It affects our personal relationships. So the another third of our life where we're trying to have fun and trying to engage with our family and friends, and it affects our sleep. So we really have to get this right or we're really missing the boat in every area of, of, of our lives, in my opinion. I agree. And I think it's so important that people understand they need to take charge of their careers and they need to take charge of their job searches. Too many of us, and I certainly was this way early in my career, Lisa, because I had a career in communications, politics, and government before I started MaxList. And I continue to run another business, a public relations firm. But early in my career, I waited to be picked. And when I was ready to change jobs, I would look at postings in those days, they were newspaper classified ads, and I would pick out positions that interested me, but I wasn't, I hadn't done the homework I needed to do to take charge of my career. I wasn't clear about my goals and what I offered and where I wanted to work. When you do those things, you not only have more satisfaction in your work and in your career, but to your point, Lisa, it affects your whole life. And Mm -hmm. when you're happy doing the work you do, you're going to have more satisfying and positive relationships and just an overall quality of life. So headline here is don't wait to wait to be picked and take charge of your career. And I know we're going to talk about ways to do that today. Exactly. It's, it's so important to be proactive and not just let it happen to you. And P.S. for those of you who haven't gotten the notice, your friends don't want to keep hearing you complain about your job. They want you to fix it so that they don't have to listen to it anymore. So if you don't want to lose your friends, you maybe need to change your, your work situation and, and not be complaining about it all the time. I think we can all agree on that one. <laughs> yes. And, and I think often people, aren't sure how to change it. And so that's why it's important to give people the information and the tools they need to set those goals, to look for work. And I know we're going to dive deep into an informational interview and what it looks like and how it can help. But that's, it's such an important tool, both in your job search and in managing your career. So let's start with the mistakes that you see with people who are attempting informational interviews or don't ever get started on them. What are you noticing about people's maybe misconceptions about informational interviews? Let's start there. I think a lot of people, when they're doing a search, they know that they need to get out and talk to others. But where they struggle is they're not sure how to do that. So I think the first mistake is not understanding what a good informational interview looks like, but also another mistake is not knowing when it's successful and what a good meeting looks like. So if people haven't done that work to figure out what an informational interview looks like and how it can help you, often what they do is they they reach out to others and they say, hey, I'm looking for work. If you hear of anything, let me know. That's and, not an informational interview. <laughs> no, it's not. And again, all these mistakes I've made myself. So I have great sympathy for people who may have done this. And the reason that doesn't work, as you know, Lisa, is you got to be specific and you, and you got to know what you want. And when you're specific mm-hmm. in your ask, people will say yes or no, but they, if you are clear about what you want, they're more likely to say yes. So don't ask people if they hear of anything to let you know. Instead, 
if you have a brief conversation with someone and they ask how you're doing and you're doing a job search, if you can say, well, I'm, I'm looking for a marketing position with a nonprofit in the greater Portland area. I'm particularly interested in nonprofits that work with younger people in, in athletics. And so I would welcome, if you hear of anything, let me know. But if you know of anybody who's working in those worlds, I would love to connect with them. Do you know anyone like that? Now, they may not know anyone like that, but that's a very specific ask. And the example that comes to mind for me is I, we did a panel discussion about looking for nonprofit work here in the Pacific Northwest. And there was a lady who wanted to work for Mercy Corps, which is an international relief organization. And she would tell people she was an accountant and it's a large organization with several thousands of employees. Do you know any, I'm, I'm looking for a position at Mercy Corps. Do you know anybody who works there? And she heard a lot of no's before she heard a yes, but the yes led to someone saying, well, I have a, a neighbor and I know his spouse works there. Perhaps she would talk to you. And person followed up. It didn't lead to a job offer right away, but it did lead to a conversation that led to a series of conversations inside the organization. And when a job did post and, and became available, she was able to go back to the people she met with and talk to them about her interest in the mm -hmm. job. She responded publicly, or she responded to the public posting as well, but she had an advantage because she knew about the organization. She knew about its challenges and she had connections inside. And that led to referrals, which led to her resume being pulled out of the pile and for her getting an interview, not a job offer, but she had to go in and sell herself. Mm -hmm. That happened because she was telling people, not if you hear of anything, let me know, but do you know what Betty at Mercy Corps? I'm looking for an accounting position there. And I think it's so important to remember that when those people and many, many people will say no to you, especially with such a specific ask, they're not saying no to you as a human. They're saying no to you in response to the specific question you've just asked them. And I, if you can think of it that way, I think it takes a lot of that stigma out of, I don't want to be rejected by people. I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, people won't like this. They'll be feel like they're being bothered. It's, it's just not the case. And of course, some people will feel bothered by it because they're not networkers and they don't maybe understand the concept but they're not going to bite your head off at all probability. They're not going to shoot at you. They simply don't have an affirmative answer to the question you've just asked them. Absolutely. And the other point to keep in mind is if you make the question general, you're much more likely to hear no than if you make it specific. The other point I'd, I'd like to raise about a common mistake is a phrase I hear a lot. And again, I've used it myself earlier in my career is I'd like to get together with you uh, for coffee to pick your brain. <laughs> and, and again, this is well-intentioned. You, you want yes. to have a meeting with someone because you want some information. But I would encourage you to be, again, as specific as possible. There's a reason why you want to meet with this person, because they have some relationship with an employer, perhaps, mm -hmm. where you want to work. Maybe they have the job that you would like to have one day or, or would like to have now, and you want to get insights into how they got that position. Perhaps they're working in a field that you'd like to break into. Whatever the reason is, say it. Mm -hmm. Don't say, I want to pick your brain. Say, I want to talk with you because you made the transition 
from the nonprofit world to the private sector. And you work in my field development. And I want to learn from you about that experience, the obstacles you had to overcome, whatever the reasons might be. And, mm-hmm. there, and if you're not clear about the reasons, that's mm-hmm. okay. But before you make the request, get crystal clear about why you want to see that person. It's not to pick their brain. There are a set of questions or experiences or something they have insights into. And when you tell them the reason for the meeting, they're much more likely to say yes than if you just make a general request. And also they'll be able to come to the meeting better prepared because in all likelihood they will give some thought, if not if at no other time, at least on the drive to the meeting, if you're meeting in person or you know, five minutes before the Zoom call, but they will have some idea and you won't catch them flat footed with your ask, with your questions. So for all of those reasons, we want to be open and above board about why we're having the meeting. Is there anything else that the listeners should know about how to how to set that meeting up? So the sort of pre-work before the meeting actually occurs. There's a, a third phrase, I, and just uh, tying into our theme of the three-peat here, and <laughs> that I want people to think about. And that's when you someone asks you about your job search and what you're looking for. Avoid the phrase, I'm keeping my options open. Uh, yes. And again, uh, it's one I use myself. So I, I have sympathy for people who are doing this. But you, the, the challenge with that is that it's unclear what you want. And if you don't what, know what you want, others can't help you. And so I think when people hear that, they think, okay, well, when, I'm not sure how, what I could do for you. I'm, it's unclear to me what you want. So when you figure that out, come back and, and talk to me. So just to sum it up, because I know you're a big fan of lists. <laughs> yes. Let's not uh, avoid saying I'm keeping my options open. Avoid saying I want to pick your brain. These are, are phrases that you need to, uh, to avoid. And, you need, and if you haven't done the homework about the goals that interest you or the goals you've set for yourself, you need to do that work before you start informational interviews. And in some cases, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to go to an informational interview and say, I'm looking for a position as the marketing director. Perhaps your skill set is a little bit broader and or what you do might. I've worked with a number of clients over the years where what they do could fit into any number of departments within the organization. And you're not expected to know the, the deep inner workings of the organizational structure of the company. But if you can go to that meeting and say, here's what I bring to the table, then you're you're meeting them sort of halfway with that. They don't expect you to know the exact job title, perhaps. Some of you will, but others of you won't. But if you can tell them the skill set that you want to use and how you can be of value to the organization, you are speaking their language and they can they can translate that into, oh, it's this department, it's this job title, or at least refer you to the right person. That That's absolutely right. And the other thing I, I want to raise, because I imagine listeners might be thinking this, when they say, I'm keeping my options open, they're thinking, well, I'm not sure what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. That's natural. We all have multiple interests. But we can talk more about this when we break down an informational interview. But one of the reasons to do it is it allows you to explore two or three goals 
that might interest you. And to find out through those conversations and those connections, if that's a, a direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. So what is the first thing that you should do during the actual informational interview? Good informational interview has three parts. And there are three things that you absolutely must do. And the first, Lisa, is when you walk in the room, you're going to introduce yourself, share your goals, and tell your story. And you can do this in two to three minutes. And the reason you want to do it is, again, there's a reason why you asked to meet with this person. They've got some insight into an occupation that you're excited about. They're connected or part of a company where you might want to work. They've made some transition that you want to make. That's why you're in that room. It's a business meeting. You called it. You're in charge. And you need to set and run the agenda. And the first part of that agenda is to introduce yourself, share your goals and share your story. And if you, when you do that, people are going to remember who you are, what you want and what you offer. And they're going to think of you when opportunities come up. So I imagine this would be very much like the answer that you would give to the tell me about yourself question in an interview with some some tweaks. But I think the idea is kind of the same to get them, you know, a little bit of background about you, what's going on with you at present. And then I always do a past, present, future format when I'm coaching my clients on answering that question, just really giving them that background information and some specifics about why you called the meeting to sort of frame what is to follow. Is that fair? That's correct. You want to say who you are, what you've done, and why you want and where you're going, what your goals are, and why you are meeting with this person, what you hope to get from the conversation. So you've introduced yourself, and presumably the other person has, to some degree, introduced themselves. Of course, that depends on how well you knew this person. If if you're, they're strangers or someone you know very well, it's going to change. So we've had this introduction. And then what's the next step? The second of the three steps, after you've introduced yourself, shared your story and your goals, is you have three to five specific questions. There's a reason why you wanted to meet with this person. They have overcome some challenge that interests you. They're working again in a field that you want to be in. Perhaps again, they have a job that you want to have. There's some insight. And so you need to walk into the room with those targeted questions and have that conversation. And this will typically take 10 to 15 minutes. So you've got these questions ready to go. Give me some examples of some of the questions that you might recommend that that a prospective, you know, a listener who's thinking about doing an informational interview, what they might want to ask. Well, let's go back to the example I, I shared at the start of the conversation. Say you're looking for a marketing position with a nonprofit organization that works with young people, particularly in sports and athletics. Perhaps your experience has been in the private sector, working as a digital marketer. So you want to, through informational interviews, find people who are doing that work and ask them how they, some, and examples of questions you might ask, Lisa, might, might be, well, how did you come to have this position? What, when you were hired, what were the most important skills and experiences to the employer. What advice would you have for somebody who is moving from the private sector to the nonprofit sector? 
Fourth question might be, have you seen anyone else do this, move from the private to the nonprofit sector, particularly in the marketing nonprofit world, working with young people? And who are the organizations out there in this sector who are, are growing and might be getting new grants, new funders, and might be looking to grow their communications or marketing programs? Who might need some help? Are there any people who are doing this work who might be transitioning soon that I, I sh- and are those organizations I should reach out to? Those are all examples of practical questions. A- another way to think about it too, Lisa, is we all carry around these objections in our heads about why we won't be able to accomplish the, mm-hmm. the job search goal we've set for ourselves. And one great thing to do in an informational interview is to take those objections. I won't uh, and, and turn them into positive questions. And examples of objections might be, well, it'll be impossible for me to work in the nonprofit world because nonprofit organizations only hire people who have nonprofit experience. Or I've never worked in nonprofit communications, and, and that's going to be a big barrier. Or I'm so far along in my career, I don't think someone would take a chance on an older worker like mm-hmm. me. So, you take those objections and examples of how you can ask, turn them into questions would be, well, what advice would you have for older workers who are, are making a late career change? Have you seen other people in this field in nonprofit marketing and communications do, accomplish that? Can you tell me who they are? Would you be willing to make an introduction? So the more you can take those objections and turn them into positive questions, you'll get insights into how others have overcome these challenges. You'll get introductions to others who address these objections, and you'll learn from them about how they did it. And I think what the subtext here that's so important to point out is that we are not talking about, I just saw a job posted on Indeed.com, LinkedIn, fill in the blank, and therefore I'm trying to get my foot in the door at that organization. This is a much more proactive strategy that is separating you from the job boards. I always say whenever you can get your foot in the door before a job is posted or in lieu of a job being posted, you are now an audience of one and you're much more likely to be seen and heard than when you come in with the crowd that will inevitably form once there is a job posting. So this is a much more a way of you, we talked at the outset of being proactive in your job search, going after what you want in any time. And I know you have a job board, but we've also, we've talked about that we're on the same page as far as they they serve a purpose, but they are they should not be the sum total of your job search. But anytime we can get away from that reactive mode of this is posted, let me figure out how to get noticed. Instead, let me present myself as the solution to this company's problem and the great companies will find the right place for me. And, and really believing that you have that skill set that can make a difference in difference in that organization and that you can sell yourself in that way when there is no job posted. It's such a beautiful skill to develop. And let me second your point about job boards. I'm very proud of the value my job board offers both employers and mm-hmm. job seekers, but I will be the first to tell you, Lisa, depending on where you are in your career, if you're spending more than 20 to 40% of your job search time looking at postings, and I meet people who spend 100% of their time mm-hmm. postings or replying to them, you're making your job search so much harder than it has to be, and it's going to take longer. And here's the reason why, and I'm, I know you've talked about this on past episodes, 
it's how the hiring system works. Referrals are so important. And a referral can make a huge difference both in getting an interview and helping you get, and that creates the opportunity to sell yourself, but it can also help you when it gets down to you and two or three other clients if you have existing relationships. I'm sorry, two or three other candidates. Right. If you, have, if you have existing relationships inside the organization. So, how do you create those referrals if you don't know anyone inside the company where you want to work? That's where informational interviews come in because you're, when you have these conversations, you're going to create an, a positive impression. People are going to think, well, she's on the ball. Uh, she knows what she wants to do. And and, and what she has to offer. She asks smart questions. We should give her an interview when, when you apply for a position at that company. And so recognize how the system works and make the system work for you. And that's informational interviews can help you do that. Exactly. You know, we, we talked on a previous episode with you and I about the hidden job market and that seven, depending on which resource you look at, 70 to 85% of all jobs are in the hidden job market. And so many people see that statistic and think that excludes them. And what I am quick to say is that you can be inside that hidden job market too. There's no, you know, <laughs> There's no gate that can't be opened. There's no, you know, I have to have certain, I don't know, education or certain a level of, of job that I've, there's no, there's nothing there that keeps you out of the hidden job market unless you choose to keep yourself out of the hidden job market. You have to know how to navigate it. And the good news is it's a skill. You can learn it. Yes. And I, I think of uh, an example out here in Oregon, I, I met a, a job seeker two years ago. She actually shared her story on my podcast. She worked in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill for a U.S. senator. And her partner got a job here in Portland. So she came all across the country. She didn't know anyone here. And over the course of five or six months, she did about 90 informational interviews, Lisa. Because, wow. and, and I say that and people think, well, that's amazing. But I meet people all the time who over the course of six months will apply for 90 jobs. Now think about that. You send yes. out 90 applications and you might hear back via an automated email from maybe half of them, maybe two thirds. You might get five interviews, maybe fewer, and you might even get a job offer. But here's what she created by having those 90 informational interviews. She created a network for herself mm -hmm. that's going to serve her through her career here in Oregon. She also got insights into who was hiring, what the jobs she wanted paid, what employers to avoid. And that was invaluable to her when she did apply for positions. Because in the end, she applied, she told me, for four or five jobs. And a few of them were posted publicly. Most weren't. And she got a great job working for a large utility here. And she, when she accepted that offer, she knew it was a good offer because of those conversations mm -hmm. and intelligence and insights she got from those informational interviews. And now she's got a network that's going to serve her for the remainder of her career. The person who sent out 90 job applications put in about the same amount of time, takes about the same amount of time to send in a good application, maybe two hours, as it does to set up an informational interview. But And they, they did get interviews, and in the end, they got a job offer. But they don't have that network and they didn't get the insight and intelligence from that, those conversations that were going to help 
then make an informed decision at the end. So we've talked about these questions that you should ask and having three to five prepared questions. What's the next thing that you should do? The third step after, you know, again, you've introduced yourself, shared your story and, and, the, and you've done, you've asked those targeted questions. There's a reason why you want to see this person. And that drives the questions that you ask is to ask for introductions to others who can help you either explore that goal of working in a, in a particular occupation or a particular company. And the way to do that is to say, I am trying to broaden my network. Are there two or three other people you recommend that I reach out to? And the more specific you can be about that, the better. So not just don't ask, well, anybody else I should talk to? Be specific about your needs and ask for introductions to people who can address those specific needs. You can also, Lisa, look at the person's LinkedIn profile before you walk into the room. Yes. And if you see that they are connected to someone at a company where you want to get inside and start having conversations or a person you want to meet, you can say, I, I see that you're connected on LinkedIn with Mary Smith. Would you be willing to make an introduction to Mary for me? Mm-hmm. And here's why I would like to meet with her. Exactly. So it could be as specific as a, a person that you see that they're connected to. It could be someone who is in a certain role. So who else do you know that is a director of a nonprofit in the area? It could be, you know, who else do you know that what you mentioned earlier, who has transitioned from corporate to nonprofit? So really being specific. Again, I think that's the been the theme throughout this this episode is that specificity because otherwise it kind of goes in one ear and out the other and people can't really help you. It's like nailing jello to the wall. You haven't given them anything to work with and then you're perplexed as to why they're not really helping you. And when I when I hear people say, oh, I've done a ton of networking, I've done infra- and nobody's been able to help me. I know we have a problem with how that client is approaching these people and the questions that he or she is asking, because that's just not, that's just not the case. If you've got the right, if you're asking the right things. And that's the key. You gotta have an ask. Again, I, before starting the max list, I had a long career working in communications and politics, including stints with elected officials. And I've been hired to train people to nonprofit leaders to go into meetings with members of Congress and their staff. And we would do these training sessions that revolved around how to get ready for this meeting. And a successful meeting required an ask. If there wasn't a reason, if you didn't have an ask, there really wasn't a reason for the meeting. So when you're getting, you're preparing people for meetings with elected officials, often the asks are involved things like you know, looking for support for a grant or getting the, the elected official to come to the nonprofit to draw attention to the organization's work. What, but they're very specific requests. And you, you have to have the same approach in informational interviews. I remember in those trainings, Lisa, working with this veteran lobbyist who said, at the end of, the, of a conversation, if both parties get up and they don't have homework, that's a <laughs> failed meeting. So, I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of your informational interview, I, I meet people, they say, well, I had these conversations and I, I don't know if it's working. Well, here's how you know it's working. You, you get up and that person you met with now knows who you are, what you want and what you offer and where you want to go. 
And they're going to think about you for those opportunities when they hear about positions that aren't advertised. And this goes back to our earlier conversation about the hidden job market. You're going to create a positive impression, and, and that's going to help you. Uh, the second thing you know it's, it's, it's a successful meeting is because now you have insights into how to overcome objections that uh, you've raised in your job search, or maybe you've gotten insights into who's hiring or what positions pay. That's going to be invaluable as you, as you, as you pursue different opportunities. And the third reason you know the meeting's successful is now you've got two or three people that you can reach out to, or this person is going to introduce you to. So you're growing your network. Uh, and that is a successful informational interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. So we've, we've gone through the interview. We, we have some homework, so we, we, we suspect we've been successful. What are some of the things that we need to do in the aftermath? So immediately after the, let's just say within 24 hours, and then ongoing to sort of keep this network relationship alive? You need to send a thank you note and you need to uh, be specific about your gratitude for the advice that was offered. And if you sometimes when you ask for requests or rather introductions to others, the person you meet with will say, well, let me reach out to her and see if she'd be willing to, to meet with you. And if that's the case, that's fine. I actually think if somebody reaches out on your behalf that way, it's much more likely to result in an appointment. So just remind the person in your thank you note that they agreed to reach out to this person and see if they would be willing to have a, a meeting with you. Sometimes people say, well, here, you should reach out to these three people and I'll, I'll send you their email addresses. And if that's the case, just remind them that they committed to, to doing that. So that's the immediate step. If you haven't already done so, connect with somebody on LinkedIn. It's a great way of not only getting additional contact information, but if you're Posting regularly on LinkedIn, maybe twice a month, they, you'll pop up in their feed and, the, and that will remind them that you're out there. And then I think to maintain the, the network and, and that relationship, if there's some common interest that you talked about, you can send articles to people and, and let them know that you were thinking of them. I also think it's really important when you do get your your job that you reach out to everybody you met with and let them know that you landed in this particular position and you look forward to staying in touch. I, I would guess probably five to 10% of networkers do that, but those are the ones I keep running across throughout my career mm -hmm. and they're, they're committed to relationships. I think it's also important to remember that you in an informational interview have a lot to offer because you're an accomplished professional yourself, no matter where you're starting in your career, whether it's right after college or in mid-career or beyond that. And I think at the end of an informational interview, it's always powerful to say, is there something I can do to help you? And people are always often put off by or surprised to hear that. But it, 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 I think it does two things, Lisa. It reminds the, the person you're meeting with that you're, you know, you're a professional peer and you've got a lot to offer. And it also, I think, helps psychically to remind you that you're not a, a supplicant. You're, you're somebody <laughs> who's, doing a, who's doing a job search. And this is a very natural, normal thing to reach out to others and ask for information and advice and, and help. 
So if you do those things, those are terrific ways to maintain that relationship and that network. Finally, I think it's always important to remember about networking in general, but particularly with informational interviews, you've got to give as well as ask for help. And so when Mm -hmm. people reach out to you, and they will, make time to see others who need advice about their own careers and their own job searches. Absolutely. And and I think a subtext here that we haven't specifically talked about is how you approach, how you as the candidate approach this process and from what, what energy do you approach it from? And it's so important that you have this energy of confidence in your skill set, confidence in what you bring to the table so that in no way are you projecting this desperation. I think in most cases, people who are desperate, what I see anyway, is they are the ones who back away from any kind of networking. They go to, of course, the least effective tool. They go to job boards and they shut themselves off from the world. So for many of you, if you're even thinking about doing informational interviews, you are coming at it from a place of confidence. But I just want to reiterate how important that is. You are not you are not needy or graspy because you are doing this. You are not begging and you are not desperate you are you are doing the things that professionals do to advance their network and you are fully confident in the skill set that you bring and how valuable you will be to the eventual employer who is fortunate enough to hire you agreed and while we touched on this earlier in the conversation i think it bears emphasis if you're uncertain about your career goals, that can lead to uncertainty and a a sense of desperation. Often people say, well, I'm keeping my options open because I don't know what I want to do. And we've all been there. We all will be there at different points in our career. So if you're not clear about your goals, that's okay. But I, I find that people typically have two or three goals that excite them. And so use the informational interview process to research those goals. And find people who are doing the work that interests you, have conversations with them about how they they found those positions, what it's like working in that field. And when you have three to five conversations like that, you'll figure out pretty quickly which of the three goals you're exploring most excite you. And one will definitely fall off the list right away. <laughs> yeah. And, and the the other one will probably and and then one will outrank the other. And when you do that, you uh, approaching the, these conversations as a kind of research project, the, you're, just, you're managing your uncertainty by getting the facts you need and the insights you need to make an informed decision about your career and what mm-hmm. you want to do next. So uncertainty is okay. Just act on it and figure out how to get clear about what you want to do. And you can be confident while uncertain. So uncertain does not have to equal graspy needy at all. It simply means I, you can you can be very confident. Here are the skills that I bring. Here's the strengths that I have. And I'm trying to learn and decide where I want to focus those strengths and those skills. And you're, again, coming at it from a place of confidence. So important because you don't want to get out there and start trying to cultivate a network with on shaky feet. It would be sort of like, 
I guess if you were trying to grow a crop and you were just throwing some seeds, you were like, I don't know what they are. You know, I'm not real sure what I'm planting. Something might grow. I'm not sure whether it should be in the sun or the shade. I'm just going to throw it out here and see what happens. It's not going to help your reputation if you do that. So you want to make sure you have that strong core belief in yourself, even if you are undecided at present about where you want to focus those strengths. And you don't need to talk about your indecision. You can yes. simply say, I'm exploring working in this field. And that's why I want to talk to you. You don't mm -hmm. say, I'm looking at two other options too, or I'm not sure what I want to do. You just it's a fact. You're you're interested in opportunities in this occupation or with this company or in this sector, whatever it may be. And that's what you talk about. And then you listen and learn and you'll figure out if that's where you want to go or not. But so focus on what interests you and you'll figure out and, and that's going to boost your confidence as well. Exactly. Well, this has been fantastic. I could talk about this all day with you, Mac, but we probably ought to wrap it up. <laughs> so how can the listeners find you? Visit our website, maxlist.org. While our job postings are in Oregon and Washington, the advice that you'll find in the learn section of the website, hundreds of blog articles, several hundred podcast episodes and other materials work anywhere, whether it's in Oregon or Florida or mm -hmm. anywhere in the United States or outside the U.S. I also host a weekly career advice podcast, Find Your Dream Job. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And we've had 2.6 million downloads now. We've been doing it for about Amazing. six years. Yeah. And every week I talk to a different career expert like you, Lisa, about the nuts and bolts of job search. We get really granular, really practical, but that's what our listeners come for. And we're, we're proud to offer that advice. Exactly, Mac. That's the same kind of feedback I get about this podcast is that they like the, the actionable steps that we go over and it, how specific we get. Because I don't think it's useful to tell people, you know, you should network, period, end of sentence, move on to the next topic. We have to tell them how. We can't assume that people were born, you know, come out of the womb knowing how to network or know how to conduct a job search or how to write a resume and all of the things that are in our wheelhouse. So we, both of you and I get very specific about those things. I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast as a three-peter, Mac. Is there such a thing as a four-peter? Four-peter sounds, I don't, maybe not. I'm not I don't know. <laughs> But, as I, as it comes out of my mouth, it sounds wrong, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think four times, yeah, four, four, four time times. podcast guest was probably the phrase. <laughs> I think that's that feels better. <laughs> yeah. So I hope we can have you back on, and in the future, you can count on me reaching out to you after some period of time and saying, "Hey, it's time, it's time again." So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Mac. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thanks for all the good work you do to help job seekers. I I listen to your show regularly and I'm always impressed by the just the high quality of advice and and the and the other guests you've had in the past. Thank you. I feel the same way about yours and you have such a great footprint and a reach in in the Pacific Northwest. So here we are on completely opposite ends of the country doing our thing to help people with their careers. So I hope this has been helpful to you listeners and uh, I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. 
Until next time.